What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Your Dharma archetype, the medium that flows through you, so is that writing, speaking, channeling, building, you know, painting, etc. The thing that excites you, I always say excitement are breadcrumbs from your Dharma because that's where your energy is flowing towards. Obstacles that you've overcome or helped other people overcome and your superpower. And I guide you through finding each of these ones and putting them together to come up with your Dharma blueprint, which is what you can take action on. Now let the magic begin. Hello, Njaima. It's Raquel here, and thank you for tuning in to Your Own Magic, the podcast, a soul-expanding and mind-altering podcast that continues to share expanding messages like the message today, along with amazing insights from artists, authors, spiritual teachers, channelers, shamans, healers, entrepreneurs, other visionaries, you name it. And I hope that their message inspires you and connects you with seeing more of your own magic. And today, we have one of those special superhumans on this earth again. She might be known as a rose gold goddess, an Ayurveda teacher, best-selling author, fellow old soul, <laughs> podcast sister, and true soul sister, to be honest. I absolutely love this woman with a capital W, and her name is Sahara Rose. Y'all probably know of her. I'm sure that she doesn't need much of an introduction. And I believe this is her third time on the show, or it could be the fourth. I don't know, but I will make sure to link the episodes that she was on in the show notes, as always. In this episode, well, this episode was extra special and something that I think a lot of us during these uncertain times need some sort of anchor for resiliency and understanding more deeply of ourselves. And of course, Sahara has been talking about for years discovering your dharma. And so in this episode, Sahara shares her unique discovery in discovering one's own dharma and talks about the different dharma archetypes and y'all know well if you've listened to this podcast for a while i am obsessed with any kind of typology enneagram myers-briggs human design even i mean they might not want to be looped into this but you know astrology like i love that and here we got sahara rose and she has the different dharma archetypes which she's observed and that may help you understand which one you might feel you're more dominant in or maybe you have a stronger gravitational pull towards this one field because this is organically you, innately you. Uh, I love it. I love it. That was really fun to explore an in-depth understanding of your strengths, your gifts, and perhaps what people might gravitate towards you about or compliment you on when you recognize these gifts that you offer and you more easily embody. So when we understand or simply become more aware, we are also more able to understand 
how we may best show up in this world that will light us up and get us excited and happy to make a difference and imprint in this world because guess what? We all have these unique innate gifts and it's something that people might ignore because they feel like they have to be a certain way to walk a certain lane. But that's not necessarily true. Actually, that's definitely not true. You all have a superpower within you, which is another thing that Sahara Rose explores in this episode and also in her new book that will be out tomorrow, Discover Your Dharma, which will release January 5th. So go to IamSaharaRose.com slash Dharma to get your copy. You'll see that this episode is over two hours long. Yeah, we spent two hours on this episode and time just flew. It was worth it. And then we even talked for like, what, another hour and a half, two hours afterwards. And so I'm just captivated by her. She's an amazing soul sister. And I know that you're going to fully eat this up. (laughs) We're also doing a giveaway for the Your Own Magic listeners. I'll be selecting two winners who share this on their Instagram story. So tag Sahara at I am Sahara Rose and myself at Raquel Mantra, and the spellings are in the show notes. And you know what? I'll add the tarot deck. Why not? Sahara's tarot deck is super dope, and I want you to I want you to enjoy it. So thank you in advance for whoever decides to share this episode. Also, this episode is brought to you by Skillshare and Thrive Cosmetics. I'm excited to start the year out with them so you can take advantage of what they want to gift you, which you'll hear in the midst of this episode. And if this episode or any other episode fueled you in some way, shape, or form, feel free to take a moment to leave a review and or a rating if you'd like to, or subscribe, follow, whatever your platform provides. And thank you again for that as well. All right, I've been talking long enough. I appreciate you, and I hope that y'all love this episode. And now, I believe it is time to let the magic begin with Sahara Rose. I'm so happy to have you back. Uh, I always love our conversation, so I'm so excited to be here. And you're glowing, by the way. You're glowing. Miami Miami. Glow. <laughs> yeah, it looks good on you. It looks really good on you. It feels good. I love the sun. I realized how much I am a sun being. Like the sun is my is my God. To me, it's if we can just embody more qualities of the sun, the world would be such a beautiful place. And the sun is so radiant. It it doesn't say, oh, I don't like you, or you didn't vote for the same person as me or this thing. So I'm not going (laughs) to shine my light on you. It's just, it's just there and it's nourishing and it's life-giving and it's rejuvenating. So I have been feeling so connected to both the sun and the sky, but also activating that sun being inside of me. Now I get it. That's why you look like a sunbeam. It's such a masculine energy and you are great. You are the example of somebody that balances the both. Like look at you with your goddess feminineness. And then, you know, you also have that very hardworking, like I'm going to get this done masculine side as well. Yeah. Well, really it's interesting because oftentimes we like are taught like feminine moon yin Mm-hmm. and then masculine yang sun but I don't really see it like that uh, I right. see the sun having like think of the frequency of the word shakti like shakti is 
in Sanskrit, divine feminine energy, but it has such a different frequency if we say feminine in English. Like, what do you think of when you think like feminine? Like what qualities come to mind? Oh, I honestly think fluid and warm and nurturing and open and in tune with mama. Mm. And then when I say Shakti, what qualities come to mind like that? Even more flowy, dancey, out there, beaming, radiant. Yeah. So that's what I realized. I was like, there is a difference between, like, I feel like because it's in the Western world, we have this Western context of what does it mean to be feminine? And it's, it's a, it's a side of the feminine that's much more like subtle and soft. And like, I think of like the Venusian woman who's like lying down with fruits and they're like drawing a (laughs) naked picture of her and like that energy. But when I think of Shakti, I think of the goddess who's like dancing with her breasts out and she's like immersed in all things. And that's a very solar energy and still an aspect of the feminine. So it's interesting. I even see a lot of qualities of, of the yang, the yang energy as being feminine. Like the, the feminine is, is very radiant. It's expressive. It wants to communicate. It has breaths. It wants to share. It wants to extend. But for some reason we've attributed it to the yin inward energy, where I see a lot of qualities of the feminine being more like exuberant, radiant, glowing out there. So I've been thinking about that, like the ways that it shows up and opening our, our perspective of what feminine masculine Shiva Shakti can really look like. That's why you are a visionary. You see beyond what people just share and say beautiful and true. And there's a way, like, of course it's intertwined in some way, but it makes a lot of sense that the Shakti and the sun are so intertwined when it comes to just that sunbeam radiance. Like this is me. Hello. You're going to see me no matter what. Mm -hmm, Totally. And I think it gives us permission to like, I think we've all become really like into like feminine, masculine, like polarities. Like it's amazing that that is such a huge topic, but I feel like Mm -hmm. what happens is then women are like, Oh fuck, I'm so masculine. Like it's another thing I need to fix about myself that's wrong about me that I'm doing off. And then what I see is instead of them living their dharmas, living their purposes, they're like, I shouldn't want that. That's my masculine. It's my, you know, and then we push this like desire within us to create, but it's like, what created every single human here? The feminine, like what is the most powerful energy? You could feel it when you're giving birth or on your period, it's the womb, the pulsing of the womb. And that is strong as fuck. Mm -hmm. So I'm seeing this, like, I think we needed to go from like one end, which was like the feminist movement, which was like very, you know, you could say that masculine of like, we can do it just like the boys, like give us, give us the same outfits, the same rights, et cetera. We needed that because Mm -hmm. we were so far behind. And, and then the pendulum is like, we want to be in our feminine. We don't want to have to be in the workplace. We want to be respected without that. And that is so needed. And now I'm seeing this like entwining of moon and sun and Shiva and Shakti and integration of like, it's all of it. Yeah. And having all of it, but that is why I think that is such a valuable point for people's mental health as well. And just like they're feeling that spiritual wealth when it comes to, I know I have friends that are like, wow, you are so feminine and I feel so masculine or they don't even reference me. They just feel very insecure about their masculinity when that's also part of their gift. And who's to say that that masculine part isn't also feminine in its own way because they do embody their feminine innately without even trying. They are just so focused on perhaps the surface level of what it seems like they're focused on. Does that make sense? When you dive deeper, you naturally, you innately do embody both. And the men do too. Of course, there's so many layers to 
you know, how we might be trained with our mind or society's conditioning. But other than that, like we both, we all innately have it all. And perhaps whatever you're experiencing right now, you're supposed to be experiencing to find your dharma, your superpowers, which we're going to talk about. But yeah, I think that that's super key for people's yeah mental health to not worry too much about it. Absolutely. And, you know, one thing on the topic of, of this and how it's so related to your dharma of your soul's purpose is your dharma is really when you stop having to separate your doing and your being. Like I'm seeing oftentimes like people enter the spiritual world and they're like, I'm a human being, not a human doing, right? Like we hear that all the time and it's like, I wanted less doing more being. And then it's like, fuck doing only being. And then it's like, again, it's this pendulum that shifts because we were so in the unconscious doing that we create this idea that doing is less than, doing has no purpose, doing is being part of the matrix, right? So then we shift into the state of being, which is to be the witness, to be the awareness of it all. But that's not the full purpose either. Like we were born with a desire to create. That's the only difference between us and animals. Like an ant, like a crocodile is here to like chill in the sun, eat, chill in the sun again, but that's not oh, us. Think. Exactly. Maybe, maybe they're like, have this whole like life underwater that we do not know about (laughs) that the secret life of crocodiles living their Dharma. (laughs) But what I realized too, in my own journey of finding my purpose of discovering my Dharma was I was not like, I was like, is there something wrong with me for wanting to do? Am I less spiritual for doing that? Like I was like living in Bali that like people would be like an ecstatic dance and then they would drink green juice and then they would cuddle puddle and then they'd go to Kirtan and they like just, you know, that was the day. And I was like, guys, I'm going to go like focus on writing my book. And they're like, oh, cerebral Sahara, like always doing and like, no. yeah. And like, you know, they were, they were my friends. Like they weren't like mean to me, but they were just like, oh, like soon you'll get to, you know, realizing that you don't need to do so much doing, you can just be. So I was contemplating like, Like, is this coming from a void within me? Am I just doing because I feel like that will make me worthy? And like also looking at the pieces that could show that of, you know, growing up with a dad who is very accomplishment oriented, et cetera. But I realized that we will always have a void within us if we don't find this integration between the doing and the, and the being. And that's when you are so immersed in what it is that you are doing. When the dancer becomes the dance, the singer becomes the song, the writer becomes the words that you are being. And when you go so deep into the being that you can't help but to do, it's radiating and expanding out of you. You're like, I need to share this with the world. And that intersection is your dharma. Oh my gosh, exactly. And I feel like that is a phase. That's a phase that people go through when it's, you know, I'm just going to be, because it does allow them, it gives them permission to explore internally. And they feel like this is going to be their lifelong journey. And there are many ways I had approached spirituality initially, um, where I felt like, okay, this is my lifelong journey. I'm talking about the stereotypical spiritual, following those different modalities. I figured this would be my lifelong, like this is what is. And when you do start to perhaps maybe in that being state and not a lot of doing, something does end up stirring within a lot of people, I assume, like it did within me very much recently, given the intense energy of the today and realizing that, okay, that served me, that had a beautiful time and place. And I think it was a beautiful part of my expansion, but there's something else where I'm actually also integrating the 
practicing the doing the even and i'm not gonna even say 3d because it's not lower consciousness it's just part of expanding into you know being able to create like what you're here to do in your dharma so I think that is key, a key phase for a lot of people, which I'm excited for you to talk about the different stages, Mm -hmm. but whatever someone feels called to do, perhaps that's part of their journey. So we're all so wildly, vastly, beautifully different. So if someone's doing something and they're doing and you're there being, perhaps let them do because who knows where it's going to lead and see how many you've helped from your doing, which that doing was integrated with your being is beautiful. Mm, Absolutely. Yes. And yeah, it's giving ourselves permission to be where we're at on the stages that we're at and they all naturally lead to the next. And I think it's important to talk about like, what's, what's the purpose of this healing? Like, what is the purpose of like doing the work quote unquote? And I think a lot of us, myself included, who impart on a healing journey, spiritual journey, et cetera, the focus is so on how do I heal? And then I, I witnessed in myself and some people around me, it was just, well, now I need to heal this childhood thing. And now I need to heal this past life thing. And now I need to heal this ancestor thing. And now I need to heal, 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 heal. And then it's like, well, when are you sharing? Like, when are you just expressing? When are you realizing I'm healed enough to help other people who are not where I'm at right now? So if someone's listening, who's like feeling like they're not healed enough, ready enough, experienced enough to go out there and share the thing that they're at, realize that you're on a ladder And if you're listening to this podcast right now, you're pretty far up that ladder (laughs) that there are a lot of people who you can help exactly from where you're at. And that doesn't mean the healing journey ends. I'm still on my healing journey. I will be until the day I die. That's why we're here. And to not wait till you get to this point that you're hundred percent healed to live your purpose. Yep. And along the lines of that, you have many purposes. I mean, you shared a variety of different messages when you decided to, all right, I'm going to step in and have a platform, which I know you had one well before you and I even became pen pals, because I remember finding you and being like, oh, this girl rocks. She's amazing. And, you know, teaching me a lot about Ayurveda, though you didn't know me personally yet. And so you had that purpose, but then, you know, you also continued to evolve and you had your Um, you were helping people step into their highest self, hence your podcast title, and just embody the goddess or the rose goddess and have that circle and that sisterhood. And you've helped people in so many, like a variety of different ways as you evolve too, which I've always noticed. And I've always embraced that about you. Um, Oh my God, I have chills right now. (laughs) But so you have so many different dharma. So how would you again, define dharma? Yeah. So your dharma is your soul's purpose. It's the big reason why you are here. And it's not what you do, but it's how you do it. So it's your unique soul's frequency. It's the expression in which only you can carry. So if you think about like, a, let's say you're a company, right? The dharma is the mission statement of I'm here to bring beauty to this world, or I'm here to connect women back to their hearts, or I'm here to facilitate deep healing, or I'm here to raise consciousness through meaningful conversations, et cetera. So it's sort of like this big mission statement that you have, but then underneath that, there are different services in that, in that company. So those services are different careers. You can have roles, you play jobs, projects, um, things you're passionate about sharing, et cetera. So for example, for me, my Dharma I was born with it. It will always be the same. So my Dharma is this underlying, I'm here to be a bridge and I'm here to be a bridge between ancient and modern spirituality and connect people back to their purpose through the path of joy. 
Now in the ways that I could do so are writing books, doing podcasts, DJing, dancing, um, you know, so many different things that might feel like not even related, but it's actually all still, still falling under the umbrella of my Dharma. So someone's Dharma could be to bring beauty to this world. And they may be a graphic designer. They may have a crystal company. They may do event planning, have plants, like all of these different things, but it's still under the same Dharma of they're bringing beauty to this world. So you were born with your dharma. In fact, your soul chose your dharma prior to incarnation. It's the frequency in which that you are here to carry, but it's manifestations of it can change across your lifetime. Now, for some of us, it changes greatly. Those of us with more of the air energy, more of the vata archetype, we are going to have we're going to move really quickly through things. We, we might go through lessons quickly and want to teach them and move on to the next thing. So I definitely have a lot of that, that, you know, I'm, I'm here talking to you about embodiment and stepping into your Dharma and this, but it's because I'm learning these different things. And that's how I am able to transmute it through the teaching of it. Whereas for other people, like a Sarah Blakely is like, I had this idea for Spanx and this is what I'm going to do. And they're just going for it. And that's their life's work. And they're just plowing through that sure within that she has different expressions she can you know speak at an event or you know play different roles within her company but she's really like firing up that one purpose and then for other people it's through their roles they play their relationships so from them being a mother or from them being like a friend or diving deep with people a coach so I often talk to people who feel like oh I must not have a dharma because I see all these other coaches out there have online programs and podcasts and all of these things. And like, I feel like I should do it, but I don't even really want to. I just really want to sit down and dive deep with people. And it's like, well, that's your Dharma. That's the, the earth type. It's to really dive into your relationships and your relationships actually become the bridge to your Dharma. So maybe from being a mother, you realize that you really want this organic baby formula company, or you want to be part of the PTA, or you want to create an unschooling curriculum or something like that, but it comes through your relationships. So I think oftentimes we look at people who have a quote unquote purpose and think if you weren't born knowing your purpose, you must not have one. But some people, you know, I, I talk about these four types of Dharma, but one of the types is you're born knowing your purpose of like Justin Bieber's like, I have a great voice and I'm great at playing all these instruments and I'm three years old. And like, this is what I'm here to do. But he could have just as easily have said, no, I'm not going to do this. Or, you know, I, I'm not ready. Or think about some of the best artists in the world are not putting their music out there because for whatever reason, fear has withheld them. So just because you're born with a gift, again, does not mean you're gonna share it. And that's just one of the types. The second type is you have a breakdown and you go through a breakthrough. So that is someone who a lot of like motivational speakers, self-help authors, teachers, they had a, you know, on their knees moment when they realized they needed to change. And that's what sparked them to make a shift like Eckhart Tolle. He had to reach this point that he was like no longer wanting to live to realize the power of now. So I definitely had the breakdown breakthrough and there's different levels of breakdown. Sometimes we have to go to, to, to make that pivot. Now, the third type is you had an obstacle that you've overcome and then you feel passionate about helping other people overcome that obstacle. Mm -hmm. So it could have been an obstacle like, 
I have a really tough time reading social cues. I have a really tough time, you know, having conversations. I feel awkward. So I taught myself, you know, and this is an example of someone I wrote in the book. She taught herself how to read people's facial expressions. She would make these like flashcards for herself of like what to do at a party, like how to, you know, because she felt so socially awkward that she then started to share it with her friends, shared it on her blog, and then went on to write a book for other people with social anxiety to navigate that. So her dharma did not come from an on-her-knees moment. It was just this obstacle that she had that she then wanted to help others. And then the fourth last type is you helped someone else overcome an obstacle. So that's when it might be a parent, let's say a parent had cancer and you, you know, become so passionate about learning about cancer therapies, alternative treatments, juicing, fasting, et cetera, because you want to be there for your parents that then that makes you become really passionate about, you know, natural cancer treatments and takes you on your dharmic journey. So I, I like to always, and with everything show different ways because our media really glamorizes like I just went out there and I found my purpose and I'm doing it. And here I am. I'm a YouTube star. And it's like, that's not really how it always works. And giving yourself permission that, you know, maybe you didn't have a life defining moment that a lot of times people who are like, I don't know, I had a normal life. I must not have a purpose. Like maybe it was through like, I kept changing schools every year and I had to learn how to like feel comfortable or I had really bad fashion sense and I had to learn how to dress myself or I had anxiety and working with these crystals really helped me. And even something like that is still intrinsically part of your purpose. Oh, absolutely. Wow. And I feel like, well, some of those happen in childhood, but a lot of them might happen in your thirties and your forties. And so that's why when you feel as though you haven't found a purpose or your purpose or your dharma. And I know I'm still exploring mine. I know, I know just because I have a podcast, oh, there's that I realize this is only a chapter of what's to come. And a lot of people might navigate and find it later on in life. Like you said, like, let's say I'm given an, an example of somebody I know that they lost their daughter who was one of my best friends. And now they are out there really with this message of don't text and drive and trying to stop children from texting and driving and saving so many lives. But that was later in life. She was in her fifties. And so there might still be, I'm actually, this is a question for you. Is there still that theme from birth? So perhaps that was part of her Dharma later on in life, but she still had the underlying message or theme of, I am here to help people out, for example, or I guess teach in some way. Mm -hmm. So yeah, great question. So we were born with the unique strengths, gifts, et cetera, that we came here to express. So we can even break them down into the nine Dharma archetypes, which we can chat about. So in, in that example of the mother that you shared, I'm sure part of her archetype was the nurturer, the yes. warrior, yeah. oh. activist, yeah. that this is her. And, and it could have expressed early in her life in different ways. And now faced with this huge, dire obstacle that has been so painful for her, it's just reigniting her to serve in these archetypes that she was born with. Just short interruption. I want to thank a special Euromagic sponsor, Skillshare, for continuing to gift the listeners a free trial of their premium membership 
when you go to skillshare.com slash your own magic. And I feel this is an exceptionally special offer as we, you know, we're beginning the new year. Many of us curious souls want to take the first step or the next step in our creative endeavors for 2021. And Skillshare, if you're not aware, is an online learning community offering thousands of classes on creative topics, including illustration, design, photography, video, freelancing, and more. And members get unlimited access to thousands of classes <laughs> and hands-on projects as well and feedback from a community of millions of creatives. Their short classes are flexible for any schedule and skill level, and I'm dedicated to taking two classes for the first two months of the year. One class that I want to recommend is the Digital Illustration Learn to Use Procreate by Jerome Vogel, and one that I have yet to try because I want to advance in Procreate is illustrating in procreate drawing a shareable time lapse this is by vashti harrison and i also want to advance in my writing that's always a skill that i am working on in my own time and this class pops out it is writing for expression how to make your words more artful and lyrical by hanif adurkip Anyway, I don't want to cram too many classes in, but I also want to mention that I do have my eye on some storytelling classes as well. So indeed, browse and check out the many different classes that they offer. I mean, illustration, writing, photography, film, and many for business pursuits as well. You might be starting an Etsy business or coaching or freelancing in whatever way, whatever side endeavor you might want to explore just to make some extra moolah as well. So explore your creativity at skillshare.com slash your own magic for your free trial of their premium membership. Again, that's skillshare.com slash your own magic for your free trial of their premium membership and enjoy expanding your creative pursuit this 2021 year. All right, on with the show. Oh, chills. And I feel like you have this hint when you read the archetypes, I read the archetypes and there were some that I hadn't even fully explored yet or just dappled with, but I had this inner knowing like, okay, that's one. And so when people look at that, even just glancing at it, you might just have a little nudge. Some you might, you might not, but I feel like there's a little nudge, whether you explored it or not, or you could, you know, look at that archetype and just, you feel something, some, you feel something could be excitement about it or a little fear or uh, for myself, it was like, why haven't I done this yet? That's what I felt. Mm. And I was like, oh, well, <laughs> I have in other ways, but not in the way that I know is to come. And then I just felt like patience, but I want to explore these different archetypes. By the way, I love archetypes. I mean, right now I've been into Myers-Briggs, which I know is a typology that's super in the world as practical, systematic, very cerebral, right? But it's fun for me and my exploration and learning about my strengths and weaknesses and be like, oh, other people are like this too. That's cool. Mm -hmm. I love that. Weirdo in that. 
I love archetypes. It has been so helpful for me, especially when I didn't think that I had a purpose. Like I was like, I don't know, maybe like God skipped me. Like, I don't really know what it is that I'm good at. And when I would read about different archetypes and learn about them, I was like, okay, well, I could see, you know, how that would show up or I haven't fully stepped into that side of myself. And sometimes it's even the people you're the most triggered by that are like the people showing you, like I am capable of this. So for example, I knew I had this desire to like write books and share, but I, I didn't have a book. I didn't have a book deal. I didn't know how to do it. So like when I would read like, you know, spiritual books, it was like this almost feeling of like jealousy and envy of like, I could do that too. And like, because my soul knew it had it in me, but it hadn't expressed yet. So even looking at those things, those triggers as like, okay, there's some, there's something there for me. So you know, in studying so many different types of archetypes, Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, even astrology, like these are archetypes, human design archetypes, goddesses, doshas, these are all archetypes. Um, I was thinking how I could relate it to really helping people go past the mind and into the soul. These soul archetypes that are related to our purpose. And that's how, you know, I, I received the download for these nine. So we can kind of go through them and I'd be curious yes. what yours are, but one of yours, and it's also one of mine. And by the way, when we talk about these archetypes, you're not just one, you're mm -hmm. all of them, but in varying amounts. So some of them, you're probably going to have three or four that are like your top ones, totally related to your Dharma. And then you're probably going to have three or four that you're like, that's not me. And mm -hmm. There could also be work and activation and you stepping into those other archetypes as well, which I'll share more about how that can happen. So teacher, the teacher goes through life. I learned a lesson. I transmute it by teaching it to others. Like that is how they show up. Like as a kid, you may have been someone who like learned or studied for a test by like pretending to teach it to others or like explaining it to someone else. And that's how the teacher is meant to serve. Their Dharma is here to share knowledge. That's, that's what it's all about. So a teacher can show up in many different ways. You could be teaching about archaeology or you could be teaching about like metaphysics. It's really up to you, but that archetype of the teacher will remain always inside of you. So you go through life. What's the lesson here? How can I extract that? How can I pass along to others? The lesson is complete and then I move forward. So Oftentimes we see teachers, obviously podcasts, writing books, researching, but maybe in front of a classroom or, you know, teaching their kids so many ways it can show up. Now the shadow side, and there's one for every single one, the shadow side of the teacher is sometimes they can be disconnected from the people they're teaching from. So like, you know, that teacher who's like in front of the class and no one's paying attention and they're like, mm -hmm. so back to the civil war dates. And like, sometimes <laughs> there could be this, like, I want to teach this, but it's not like that. Hey, are you, are you interested? How is it connected to you? So it can, it can be this disconnect from the people that you're teaching from. And it can also be a level of preachiness too, of like talk, talk, talk without again, connecting to that person. So if you are a teacher, it's really important to have like, is this actually landing with the people that I'm teaching about? And, and sometimes teachers have a hard time, like watering it down or they don't yeah. want to, they don't want to dumb it down. Or, and it's important to, you know, our minds are changing so much with social media. The way that we learn things is so different. So we can't really show up and like do this like three hour long lecture and expect people to listen the same way they may, may have like a hundred years ago. So it's the teacher, you know, might have a hard time adapting to the new ways that people are learning. Okay. I want to interject there. Cause that is so, so good to reference. If you do feel like 
you are part of this teacher archetype, then perhaps this is part of your shadow. And I realized though, I'm like, okay, it depends on what you're teaching as well. Let's say you are teaching different subjects on mental health or something. And there are a variety of different people that you might be connecting with or spirituality I think is a great one because some people connect with certain terms while others don't. So at the same time, simultaneously being true to yourself, I think is also key and not trying to please every ear because then you really don't cater to anybody it's good Mm -hmm. to also be yourself at the same time but it is also wise to continue to explore and listen and you know learn from that getting some critiques or you know good feedback love that so much yes I mean you know especially with spirituality like we're all really here saying the same thing right like to (laughs) to to raise consciousness in whatever terminology now some people may have a totally galactic lens of looking at it for some people like myself it's much more ancient sacred embodied feminine for other people it may be Buddhist for someone else it could be you know through a totally different lens so it's to honor that and trust that and how is it being received by the students you know and maybe some teachers are here for really advanced students and some people are here for the masses so it's to trust like who am I here to teach and how can I show up for that person I think with spirituality too is we're gonna have like the teal swans and the mat cons who you know the the person who just joined spirituality is probably, though I started with Teal Swan, I love her. Um, But typically, you know, you're going to find her later in your journey. Whereas like a Gabby Bernstein might be like the first, the first stop. So it's honoring, you know, who who you are here to um, teach with, but that's a really important thing. Cause sometimes we try to be like for everyone at every level and whoever needs me. And like, you're not going to really be able to get through to your people if you try to do that. That's so true. That's so, so true. But at the same time, I've also noticed as I've evolved, I feel like the beginning of your own magic. I myself at that time was still, though I thought I was more advanced or whatever. I look back at that. I'm like, oh my gosh, you were just so, it's so endearing, but it was so, you know, just for the beginners excited about all the different modalities. And then you continue to explore. And so everybody also might evolve in their teaching as well. And so will your students, which I think is really absolutely like you're not you're not tied to that one thing ever and I think what happens too especially with social media we're like like stick to your core 1,000 followers like we always hear that there's like books about it like your core 1,000 people but those Mm -hmm. people are going to change you can't hold on to the same people of like whatever you need wherever you're at in your journey it's to really hold your stake of like here's what I'm here to teach and maybe it will serve you to a certain level and then you'll move on yeah. Or maybe this is the direction I'm heading in and you don't want to go in that direction. And that's beautiful and fine too, but it's not trying to like fit the mold and like teach people what they, I think people get so caught up in what do people need instead of like, how do you, how does source want to express through me? Ooh, how does source want to express through me? That's beautiful. And I know you have a huge section on that, right? The medium of why you're channeling this information or living as discovering your Dharma in some way. Mm-hmm. And everybody has that ability. Yeah. So before we get too caught up with the teacher, this whole episode is just for you teachers out there, but (laughs) (laughs) we'll go through them and that will make sure to be somewhat elaborate to be fair, but maybe we don't go as extended. Yeah. Or we'll just see where it takes us. (laughs) Um, So the next one, which we both definitely have too, is the visionary. Mm -hmm. Now the visionary is here to be a channel for the new paradigm. They are big picture thinkers, future oriented, and they're here to inspire their gift, their modality is their communication. And it's not so much about what they say, but 
the energy in which they are transmitting. Mm -hmm. So they are here to activate your senses and awaken you and let you see that a new way is possible. So that visionary is really a call to action as an expander. The teacher may be like, hey, I'm going to teach you this thing. And it could just be like, I'm going to teach you how to garden. Whereas the visionary is like, I'm going to teach you why you are connected to Gaia and why we are one. So we'll always have a philosophical, spiritual principle to it. And its communication is words. It could be spoken words, written word, poetry, song, rap, so many different modalities, but the way that it resonates with you is it's letting you see the way that the world can be. So for me, this is my primary archetype. A lot of people who are, you know, speakers will have this archetype. Your gift is your charisma, your passion, the way that you show up. Now, the shadow side of the visionary is, again, here, here's the real shadow is sometimes you really want people to change. You can so see what's the best for them and they're not ready for it or they're not open to receive it. So you might be like, I'm going to change your life and we're going to do all these things. And that person might not be in that space, might not be receptive to it. And you can actually get in the way of someone's karma by doing that. So it's learning when is that message being received? When is it being invited in versus when am I just sharing because I want to? So again, it's that level of attentiveness of who am I speaking with? And it's an ability to meet them where they're at and not go so far ahead that could actually overwhelm them and keep them further stuck where they are. Oh, this is so gold. And also the visionary as well might still be exploring certain like that somebody can see like, okay, you're about to live a wild message and share it with the world. However, that person might not be quite there yet because they are still navigating whatever karma they're going through. And so maybe you look at visionary and you feel that, but you are going through something, but that's going to be part of your messaging. And that way you can be a greater bridge for more people. Absolutely. So before I had really awakened and stepped into my gifts, I, you know, would see other people who are definitely visionaries like Deepak Chopra and be like, oh, I so am inspired by that. I want to be that, but I'm not. However, in my small sphere of friends, I was that person. Like mm -hmm. I was the person, if you were like hungover and would help you out or like, you know, in a relationship or in a breakup or in a small level through blogging, through this or that, that visionary archetype was always within me. But as I stepped further into my dharma, it was able to activate so much more. So a lot of people are visionaries out there and they haven't fully seen the scope of their visionary abilities. I haven't fully seen it. Yes. yes. Uh, yeah. I'm thinking of so many people that live that visionary lens, but they did either find it later, that messaging, or they are learning, they're sharing other messages that ends up leading to something else. Mm -hmm. And you're an example of that as well. Exactly. I think we all have to learn from other people and find what works for us, find our modalities, our lineages, our practices, all of these things. And then it becomes like, here's what I'm going to take from it. Here's what I'm, here's my own lens. I'm going to add on to it and trusting it enough. I think a lot of times visionaries, they're afraid of stepping into their own way. Like even for me writing, discover your Dharma, I was like, okay, this is not me sharing my Ayurveda. This is me literally channeling my own system. So it's mm -hmm. like this, you know, a level of fear of stepping into, I I'm sharing something that I'm creating and like, I don't know if I'm ready for it or this or that. So I think visionaries will always still have that feeling of like, 
like, who am I to do this? And that, that feeling is never really going to go away until you see the way that you're channeling and your expression and your voice impacts people. And then you're fueled by that and you keep going and you keep innovating. That's so beautiful and good to know. Yeah. Developing that trust muscle. What is the third archetype? Yeah. So the next one we'll go into is the artist. So the artist is here to bring beauty. They're the type of people that everything that they do is going to have an element of beauty to it. So like their outfits, their Instagram feeds, their home, like you just see what they're doing. You're just like, you're such an artist. I mean, we, I remember when we first met through Ali Michelle, you were like, she's just art. And like, she is such an artist of just the way that she expresses and shows up. It's a breakup. It's a this, it's a that. She will make it into art. So the artist is here to see the world and move through the world like that. And there's so many mediums in which they can do so. Now the artist picks up on energy from a lot of different places. And that's what fuels their creativity. They're sensitive to the way that the room is or all of these little things that other people might not realize because they're really taking in energy as opposed to the teachinary visionary they're taking in and also giving out so it can be like like as a visionary i can step into a room that's like really dull and light it up mm-hmm. whereas the artist will be more like i will match this frequency and create art about that do you see the difference oh there my gosh yeah. chills. yes that makes yeah. a world of sense and that's what you know how you were talking about the sun mm-hmm. i feel like that's what I would experience as well as a, a visionary or, and also a teacher, but I mean, Ali and she, Ali's like, I'm like the moonlight and you're like the sun. Cause she, yes, she does it is she that lunar energy for sure. And she definitely is very in tune with what is going on within when it comes to everybody, no matter what they're sharing outwardly. And so, yeah, she's, she's very connected that way and then does end up creating an art in some way. Totally. And their sensitivity is their superpower. They're also people who really like to like DIY everything. So oftentimes they will like see the world as a medium. So I have a friend who's a painter and he literally just like any like home renovation thing he he wants to do himself. He built a, a motorcycle, like all of these random things. He's just like a maker or, or my husband who works in music. Oftentimes the DJs build the sets and print the shirts and do all of these different things because as an artist, they see everything as a new expression, a new medium. So they can be, you know, really dabbling in different types of interfaces. Now, the shadow side of that is sometimes they can get very overwhelmed by their surroundings that they have a tough time, you know, being around loud noises or a lot of different energy. So that same friend who can like build everything can't go to his own art shows because he gets so overwhelmed by all of the people around him. So it's that level of sensitivity that can also come as a fault. If it can't be grounded, artists can be very in their head and not so much in their bodies. So they're really needing to ground into this present moment, feel their bodies exercise. These are crucial for the artist archetype and artists too can get lost in their emotions you know we we've always heard stories like Picasso or Frida Kahlo who can go into a manic depressive state you know if we're not fully grounded into our bodies and able to again be the witnesser we can create art from it but then lose ourselves in it become that art and like it can spiral us down the same way so it's important for artists to also have that distinction of like here I am I am whole and I don't have to feel misery and sadness to create great art. 
Oh, yeah, I think that is key. Oh, yeah, because a lot of artists do feel like, all right, well, I really um, thrive when I am sad. That's actually one of the reasons um, when I was in acting back in the day, uh, I went to an acting school right out of high school. And I remember they said, oh, man, if you can just like always struggle, they were basically implying always struggle because then uh, you'll be a better actor. And I was like, I don't want to, you know, I'm like, I already have enough mental health, whatever. I, I don't want to have to have to have this. And that was honestly one of the reasons why I left. Cause it's like, I don't want to have to feel this way though. It's not true. Not every actor does have to, but it's a very interesting take. Cause a lot of people do get lost in that. Like you said, it's the shadow. So people can step out and, you know, work through that shadow and you don't have to live that if you're an artist. Exactly. And pairing it up with the other archetypes, which, you know, some of the ones like the warrior one, for example, would be a really good balance to have with it that would like put you into your action. So you're not so lost into things. Um, so we'll dive into the entertainer next. Okay, the entertainer. You definitely have that one too, if you went to acting school. So the entertainer is here to make people feel. They're here to make people laugh, smile, cry, ponder. Like that is what they're about. They see this world like a stage that they get to live their expression on. And they come alive actually in some of the most mundane and boring moments. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you're like leaving a concert and you're in the car for like four hours trying to get out of the concert, like waiting, waiting, waiting. The entertainer in the car will take that opportunity to like tell stories or like, you know, karaoke or like something else they're like great people are bored so let me entertain and and that makes them come alive they're the people at a party who will maybe be entertaining and they feel so much joy so much dharma within themselves when they can give people an experience so we've always had them it's just as ancient of an archetype we've had the jesters in the courts we've had the operas in ancient greece we've always needed entertainment we've always needed an escape from this world that's not a bad thing like Sometimes we're like, oh, escapism. No, it's like this world can be so heavy and so hard that we need. That's why in India, Bollywood is so popular and it's so, you know, theatrical and out there and colorful and like not like normal life. But that's what people need. They, they need that like three hours where I'm not thinking about what's happening around me. So the entertainers give people that experience and are able to play that role and make something that could be really heavy or serious entertaining and novel. So Jim Carrey is such a great example of this. You know, the way that he is able to like bring awareness on consciousness is through his entertainer archetype. So he literally morphs into different characters and makes you think further about yourself or Sasha Baron Cohen, who does Borat, Ali G, um, Bruno. He's like an incredible comedian and actor, but he steps into these roles so you can then see society in this new way. Now, the shadow side is sometimes they can lose themselves in the roles. Sometimes they don't know who they really are because they're so caught up in playing a character that who am I if I'm not entertaining? Am I worthy? Do people really care about how I feel? So it's that friend who might always feel like I need to make people laugh or I need to like show up in this you know really animated way because if I'm boring or if I'm having a bad day, people might, might not want to hold space for me. So Robin Williams was an example of that, of making everyone laugh that he didn't feel like he had anyone else that he could lean on. So 
in the entertainers, addiction is the most common, um, you know, shadow that happens and addiction happens from numbness. It's trying to numb yourself out of this experience that you're in. So it's important for the entertainers to know that their worthiness is not defined by their level of entertainment and they can be boring, basic, bland, and still be loved. Oh my gosh, my heart right now. That's so true. And like Heath Ledger as well, you know, he got so caught up in the Joker role and, what is also interesting so speaking i do fully relate to this by the way i can't tell you how many times people are like want to talk don't worry you don't have to turn on it's a natural habit you know like to turn on but lately they, I've been- they tell you don't worry you don't have to turn on yeah wow because they could feel energetically that you kind of step oh, it, into it's this a natural thing it just happens you know organic oh. don't forget I'm a double Leo as well and yes. I don't it's just naturally like it just happens you know but at the same time when I'm fe- that's why a lot of times when I'm feeling low which I am somebody that also goes through different episodes of course which is a great part of my human experience and I'm supposed and I genuinely know I'm supposed to be experiencing this but I feel like I can't show up because I can't turn on. It's a shadow of mine that I've been working with for a long time now, but it goes deep for whatever reason. And oh my gosh, I have like major chills. I want to cry because that's like a huge one for sure. You know, and the beauty is even our shadows were chosen by our soul. Yeah. Like even that element of you wanting to turn on, the reason why you want to turn on is because it is part of your dharma. You are here to show up and entertain. You are here to shine your light and share your gifts. It's the it's the unconsciousness of it, of doing it not out of inspiration, but doing it out of fear that I'll lose you if I don't. That's when it turns into a wound. So it's not about killing your entertainer. It's not about releasing yourself of like, I like sometimes we do have to go the polar opposite of like, I'm not going to do anything that makes me feel like I have to entertain so I can like not, not go back to that default. Mm-hmm. However, once you get to a point that you realize like the people who love me will still love me despite me, you know, being on or not, then you can step back into it because it does make you feel alive. And it yeah. is part of your, your soul's code here. And you are meant to, to be that radiant sun going back to what, what we started with. And the reason why you're even able to do so is because it's part of your gifts. I'm going to cry. <laughs> I love you. Oh man. (laughs) What is the next one? So the next one is that we'll go into is the activist. So the activist is here to bring about change. They are really like in the, you know, 3d, but like what's around us, like what's happening. Like, let's talk about the environment. Let's talk about society. Let's talk about politics. So social, political, cultural, economical, environmental change. They're here to make this world a better place and they are not going to, you know, quote unquote, bypass to do so. So they have this level of fire within them. You know, it's that feeling of like the the mother that you mentioned, like even myself, like I definitely have this archetype of like responsibility of like, we need to make this world a better place. Like, come on. 
And the beauty of it is like, what a gift, like what a gift to be able to use that energy and see that the children are being fed because of it, or awareness is being raised on human rights issues, or our oceans are being cleaned up because of your dharmic energy. What a gift. And there are always going to be infinite number of, you know, problems for the activists to step into. So that there comes their shadows of, and I can speak for this myself because it's one of my archetypes of feeling like I'm doing this work for everyone else and no one else cares. Like I'm sacrificing my whole life for helping, you know, I'm not the only one who's going to benefit from the oceans being more cleaner, da, da, da. But why is it all on me? And it's this feeling of burden. It's this feeling of I'm taking all this action. It's not getting anywhere. And then a lot of activists become angry. Like that's why we have that archetype of the angry activist, because imagine you're you're like swimming up, up river, up river, up river. And you feel like you're just at the same place. In fact, you see like a dump of trash now coming down the river, but it's really easy for you to be like, screw it. Like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna stop. I'm just gonna give up. But then that activist within you will never feel totally held and seen and, and nurtured. So for me growing up super activist and also seeing that it was tied into my trauma of seeing the pain of the world from a young age, mm -hmm. seeing the shadows of humanity, you know, having refugee immigrant parents, having uncles be in political prisons, having a grandma and child marriage, like all of these really dark, heavy things, of course, are going to make me want to create change. But I had to drop myself from the responsibility that it has to be all me doing it mm -hmm. and that I can also live a life of joy, that it doesn't have to be around the more that I can sacrifice, the more I can help the world, which was the story that I used to have. So activists get to realize they get to enjoy this life too. And their highest form of joy can also be their highest form of service. Wow. Oh my gosh. And I think that there's obviously, like you said, there's a spectrum for everybody, right? And you land somewhere. I feel like if you never felt like an activist before, a lot of people that might be activated now. But for you, you knew for a long time since you were young because of your life story and your experiences and your karma. So you have a high percentage. What would you say is your first, second, third, if you've already said three of them? Yeah. So, you know, and they can, they can shift a little bit in terms of order. And also when you do healing, it can shift too. Yeah. So today my top ones are visionary teacher, artist, mm -hmm. activist, entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. So for me, I've always was an artist as well, but I thought that that part of me won't be like, you know, how am I going to make money doing this? Or you know, it's not invited. Again, my dad would always tell me, be rational, not emotional. And like the artistic things I would do is like, okay, now you're grown up, stop doing that. So I, I, I instead took that energy into, okay, I'm going to transmute it to saving the world. So when I healed that sense of responsibility and I realized for me, the greatest way that I can quote unquote, save the world. Now I see the world doesn't even need saving, but um, that's a whole other conversation is that if I can step into my gifts of being that visionary and being the teacher, then I'm able to actually change things much more for myself than if I am fighting and signing petitions and like try, trying to do this thing. If I can change the way that people think and I have that gift to do so, then I'm able to help them think for themselves. And then they'll know 
without me telling them to not do those things anymore. So it allows you to come full circle. Now, some activists, like that is their number one role. Like right now, like this year was the year of the activist out of all of the archetypes. Everyone got to see what is my relationship with my inner activist. And some people it was awakened within them. And for some people it scared the crap out of them. Mm. Now, does that mean we all have to be like, number one activist. No, there are some people who that's their dharma. That's their gift. They've been doing this work for a long time, like pass them the mic. They're the ones doing this work. However, I think where we got stuck in what we learned this year was thinking that everyone needs to show up in every archetype, like whenever we want. So then when people who are definitely not the activists had not done the research or the work around it, we're kind of being called to like, hey, why aren't you showing up the same way that other people are? It creates the performative activism, which then we get mad of why is there performative activism, but because there was so much peer pressure to be an activist. So it created this ripple, but it's like, look, Jim Carrey, I would call him an activist, but he's doing it through the entertainer. You know, Oprah through her nurturer, you know, every person can do it through their own archetype. So to me, this year has taught us the importance mm-hmm. of really like honoring the way that each archetype shows up and not all trying to assimilate to one while at the same time having a relationship with each of your archetypes. Like if you are like, I am not the activist. I don't even want to go there. Don't tell me about anything hard going on in this world. It's like, okay, there's some work for you to do there. <laughs> like that's, that is the spiritual bypass of we all we're all here on this planet. So we all have some responsibility to make it a better place. However, should you shift your entire brand to now be the activist if you're just doing so because you feel like you should? No, because then you're not living in alignment with how you can actually make a difference. Ooh, I think that hit home for a lot of people. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Everybody has experienced it today. And it also has revealed what we do truly believe in, which I think is also key. But do you feel like called to go out there and be an activist and fight for whatever it is or do you just want to share in your own way like like you do on a podcast or just in your own way where you you express yourself in a variety of different ways which of course I'm sure is what the artist does right and it seems as though you express this activist through honestly a combination of everything that you all your main archetypes which is really interesting and cool Yes. And the archetypes really are here to support each other. Like when you're young, you don't know how, like, especially because we didn't even have the internet growing up. So we were like, okay, if I want to help the world, I have to be a lawyer. If I want to entertain, I have to do Broadway. If I want to be a teacher, I got to teach in a classroom. And like, that's the only thing we saw. And it was very singular and, you know, focused in only one modality. Whereas now it's like, we can dance with them all. In fact, your Dharma will require you to show up in all of the different ways that you might even feel like are random or disconnected. So let's say you're the entrepreneur, which I'll talk about next, and the activist. You might be like, wait, I'm really driven by creating a big business and profit and money. Like that's really exciting to me. And I'm an activist and want to bring out social change. So like, what's wrong with me? Like, why can't I just be one? But it's like, maybe you're here to create Tom's Shoes, which is a business that also supports kids in having shoes. So it's the integration of the different sides of yourself. That's exciting. That's so good to know. Oh, man. Is there a way? Um, oh, you have a quiz in your book, right? Okay. Yes. Good to know. Okay. Yes. Like, Is there a way if they had no idea? 
you know. So I have um, a Dharma archetype quiz on my website as well. It's called dharmaarchetypequiz.com. That will give you your top two Dharma archetypes. And then in the book, it goes, it's a whole assessment to go further into them. But if you're listening now and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not sure, dharmaarchetypequiz.com. So let's say you end up getting the entrepreneur and the activist. Perhaps there is something like Tom's that you end up wanting to create and that will just fuel you. I love that, Sahara. That's, I love that. Yes. I love a natural look with some shimmer. I love that lightly soft contour, but add, of course, some shimmer and some blush, some highlighter, a whisk of eyeliner on the outer edges, and, of course, a strong lengthening mascara that does not clump or flake. That's basically the look I usually go for. So whether you like a more natural look or full glam or somewhere in between, you'd love Thrive Cosmetics because you're not only getting quality cosmetics, but you're also contributing to a good cause. And you also might already know of them as they have a pretty viral, vibrant turquoise tube on social media for their mascara. And it is a game changer. It is. I'm so happy that Thrive Cosmetics is not just stunning, but also 100% vegan and cruelty-free. And it's packed with clean, skin-loving ingredients. Their high-performance formula set the bar high with uncompromising standards. So no wonder their bestsellers boast thousands of glowing five-star reviews. And what also makes them even more more special is that every purchase with Thrive Cosmetics contributes to making communities thrive. Hence the name. I mean, it's also spelled C-A-U-S-E, Medics. Thrive Cosmetics. So it's not just about beauty. I mean, they're truly about giving back. So with your support, they donate products and funds to support communities in need through responsive giving. That's why they've been my beauty obsession since 2020. I've been using their Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara since 2020. I mean, this is a magical mascara that lasts all day without a hint of clumping or smudging or flaking. And removal is a breeze as all I need is warm water and a washcloth. Pretty simple. And also here's the best part. The nourishing ingredients in this flake-free tubing formula not only gives you the length and definition that you crave, but also it supports longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It's a love story for your lashes. So Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com magic. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash magic for 20% off your first order. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Okay, entrepreneurs, tell us. Yes. So the entrepreneur is here to solve problems. That's really what they're here to do. They see this world as here's a problem, I'm going to solve it. Now, this could be a big global issue or it could just be the issue of I don't feel comfortable wearing dresses because my stomach feels flabby, so I'm going to create Spanx. Like that's mm-hmm. a solving of a, of a problem, you know, or it could be, you know, kids don't have shoes and I'm going to solve that problem. So it can, it can be anything, but you're here driven by profit and impact. It's both. Okay, so the entrepreneur, yeah, like so okay. exactly. So the entrepreneur wants to create something that's sustainable, that's scalable. They're driven by systems. Like for example, an activist may be like, Hey, let's get a bunch of signatures and raise awareness and like talk about this cause. Whereas the entrepreneur will be like, okay, 
if we want to help the environment, let's reduce plastic straw consumption by 200% with the innovation of these bamboo straws that we will integrate step-by-step step into society. So by year 2030, we have accumulated this much plastic and, you know, saved it from the ocean. Like that's how they would go about solving the problem. It's much more with that, like masculine energy structured they, you know, and then the, the, the visionary might give a big talk about it, but the way that they show up for the same problem is so different. So if you are someone who, you know, it's part of your dharma to have this big business, you are driven by it. You are kind of obsessed with your work and it's not a bad thing. Like with an entrepreneur, like their work and, and who they are is so entwined that sometimes in our society, because our society is like based off of the corporate structure, we're all about like, okay, your work-life balance, like at 6 p.m., shut off your, your shut off your laptop. And if you're still working, you're a work addict. But for the entrepreneur, it's like this enmeshment that like they may be at 11 p.m. feeling really inspired about their business or on holiday, et cetera. And they may be kicking themselves of, I don't have work-life balance, whereas that is part of their dharma. It's to be so immersed into their work now. It is important for them to have boundaries too, but it won't look like the boundaries of other people. So the entrepreneur is just really fueled by looking at things that other people wouldn't and creating something that's sustainable. That really matters for them. How can this grow past me? So they want to eventually create something that can then live on its own. And that's why having income is necessary for it because they want to build a team around it and an infrastructure, et cetera. So they are people who they don't want to do the lip service. They want to like, here's the products that will help this issue. Now, again, not all entrepreneurs are caring about making impact, but when you're, when you're deeply tied to your dharma, you will. So that's, you know, maybe looking mm -hmm. at you have a skincare company, but you're going to give 10% of profits to you know, saving the dolphins or whatever else it looks like for you. So you could be using your business lens of helping the world, but you're going to be coming forth with it from a place of structure. Now, the shadow side of that is losing yourself in your work and feelings of no one else cares as much as I do. Mm -hmm. So entrepreneurs often feel like they can't give up control because other people aren't going to care as much about the details as they do. So they can feel really alone, feel like they're like, Again, the sense of over-responsibility, all of the weight is on my shoulders and I can't trust. So my affirmations for them are trust and surrender to, you know, first of all, you don't have to trust everyone. It's true. Most people probably won't care about it as much as you do, but finding the people that you can relate their dharma to what it is that you're doing. So maybe you bring on the nurturer for your customer service and you bring on, you know, the entertainer for your social media, et cetera. And honoring those different roles as much like entrepreneurs can be very like ROI, what's the profit? Like what's the most straightforward way of doing it, but valuing the little things that may not matter to you. And that's really how the dharma can come to life. Oh yeah. Okay. So something that a big distinguisher with the entrepreneur versus a lot of the others and how much percent do you think you have of the entrepreneur? That's like my fifth one. So, and yeah. you know, for example, when I was learning how to build my business, I knew I wanted to be an author and speaker, but I didn't know how to do so. So I had to like really step into my entrepreneur to like right. figure it out. But I don't, I don't want to have a big business. I don't like being a CEO. Like I don't like really love this stuff, but I was passionate about learning it so I could have it like, you know, on fleek and step into my Dharma in the other ways. So again, it's about feeling comfortable in the other archetypes, but not 
transitioning your entire dharma to be that. Whereas I have other friends whose goals are to create a huge business and that's their dharma. Right. And they're excited about that for whatever reason. And it is nice to have a little entrepreneur side, but it sounds like one thing that really distinguishes it, distinguishes it is the ability to have a practical mind when it comes to just looking at the world in a sensory space, Mm -hmm. you know, like really making sense of what is here in this physical realm and being able to um, calculate it in some way, or, you know, really use the magic of numbers and science or whatever. It sounds very practical, which is very needed. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you have some of this one? A little bit, Mm. a little bit, not but I'm, 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 I, I could definitely um, do better at it, I guess. Something that I can step into more and I need to actually. So, and that's good to know. It's like, all right, what, where do I need to strengthen in order to expand in some way? And that is absolutely one of the things for me. Totally. Yes. It's like having that container. So then in which you can be your artist, be your, et cetera, everything else, but it needs that like you know, entrepreneur and the next one I'll talk about, which is the researcher are more of those analytical energies that if you don't have it, then sometimes you can like lose yourself in, in, in the flow and the creation. So researcher similarly to entrepreneur cares about the details, but it's less action oriented. It's more inner. So the researcher wants to understand why things are the way they are. They have this childlike curiosity. They're like, why is the sky blue? Why is the grass green? Like, why does this happen? And they really want to go into the books, into like the deep Google search, into the analytics, the data. And there are two types. There are past researchers who care about history and then future researchers who care about like technology, innovations, that mm-hmm. type type of thing. So some people, it may be, I really want to understand, you know, ancient Egypt and all of the details about it and like really be able to talk about it. And other people, it may be like, where are we heading? And like, what's like solar energy going to look like, but both of them are going to show up in the data, the analytics, the, the fine, the fine combing. So the researcher wants to understand why the world is the way that it is. That is their Dharma. And then the shadow side of that is feeling like they're never ready. You know, sometimes we feel like I need more information, more information, more information, but it's like, you're never going to get to the bottom of it. So sometimes, you know, we can all think of that researcher who's like knee deep in their, in their research and all of their books, but it's like, how are you helping the world with this right now? If all you're doing is keeping it to yourself. So it's taking that action and realizing that you're never going to get to the bottom of anything. There's always going to be more to unfold, but what you know right now is still enough to begin sharing. So it can pair with other archetypes. Deepak Chopra is the researcher, researcher visionary. So you know, he's a visionary of, of sharing this way the world can be, but he's doing so with proving with you the science, the science yeah. of meditation, the science that we are the universe and the data and the analytics. And here's the research and like that, like knowing him personally, that's what jazzes him up. He's like, Zahara, like we just got this new research. And like, he's so excited about this research. And I'm just like, it's amazing. Cause I'm so like, not that person, but it's like, that's his Dharma. That's what he's here to show up as. Whereas for other people, it's not. So we need the researchers. Like we need yeah. people doing that work. And I bet you there are a lot of researchers out there, researchers listening who have some really good information that could be helpful to share. Absolutely. I rarely resonate with the teacher and the visionary and the entertainer as well. And a little bit of the artists, of course, too, when it, especially when it comes to having to stay by yourself a lot, but um, in order to listen and create that art. But 
what I really, what I see and what I see for my future that I haven't fully announced yet, perhaps because a little bit of this researcher's side is there, I do, and I've been researching a lot in a variety of different realms of what I foresee for, you know, the next phase in life and which your own magic is still going to stay everybody listening, don't worry, but um, (laughs) I do have to research a lot that is not only what's coming from within, but, you know, external research of what the stats say when it comes to yada yada in order for me to really relay certain messages and so though it's a weakness of mine I've actually been able to ignite it some and it's been really fun totally and it's like when you do that research it does like especially for people who may not be in these like more spiritual conversations they really need that research to trust so when we have that research of like hey like this percentage of people struggle with like mental health issues. And here's the data on how these practices can help. And it reduces it by X percentage. Like that gives them trust to then step into their own intuitive gifts. So I think a lot of times spiritual people shy away from the research where it actually is like the missing link to get it out further into the world. It grounds us into the spirituality of what real spirituality is. Mm. I think it's key. If anybody's like me, I always question the numbers. I'm like, how do they come up with that number? in that percentage, like how, you know, I mean, they didn't, they didn't sample everybody, but at the same time, there's, there's science behind that as well. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I had to really step into my researcher to write idiot's guide to Ayurveda because I'm Mm -hmm. writing, you know, a 400 plus page textbook on Ayurveda for like everyone to study from. So I'm like, I need to go so deep into the research and most of the stuff is not in English. So I'm like going deep into like Hindi Sanskrit texts, like trying to understand things of the way they are, they are and make sure that it's right. You know, it's not just like I'm channeling my own thought process it's a science. So I definitely had to become really good friends with my researcher. And there was this feeling of like, yes, I got it. I'm understanding this. I got that research. Like it does give you this feeling of like passion and energy. However, (laughs) do I want to keep doing that? Not really. I'm glad I did it. And like let, and let other people who love to research do that. And there's always going to be someone who loves to do the things that you don't. There you go. The love for it, I think, is the distinguisher. Yeah, you might be ignited by it for a particular reason because it fuels your message with your vision or your teaching or your art or whatever. But there are people that genuinely, like, they just dive into that all the time. Yeah. So we have two more archetypes left. So they are the nurturer. So the nurturer is here to care and connect. They are here to really dive deep with people, to hold space, to listen. So instead of telling you, teaching you, They want to extract the wisdom from you. Mm. So think of like the coach who's like, hey, but how do you really feel? So the nurturer wants to really like go deep one-on-one with people, whereas the teacher may want to impart knowledge to the group. And that's really the core difference there. The nurturer really cares about healing. It cares about connecting, listening, um, you know, a really good example, again, is that Oprah energy. Like even when Oprah was super, super famous at the Staples Center, she's sitting next to someone on a chair, like, so tell me really, how how are things? Instead of like filling up the space and like being really loud and like showing up with that, like Tony Robbins energy, who has more of the next one, the, the warrior archetype. So that nurture, their dharma really is here to like let people be seen and listen and like hold their hand. So it really has that like kapha energy, that nurturing, that motherly Taurus type of energy to it. And we need them. We need people in the world who care and connect. We need the healers, the nurses, the, t- the, the teachers, the mothers, 
coaches, therapists, all sorts of people out there to really nurture because our souls need it. So oftentimes the nurturers are empaths or resonate with being an empath, which we all are to certain levels, but the nurturer, that's their gift. Mm-hmm. They can feel what other per- what another person needs and show up in that way. So the beauty of that is, again, to be able to transmute and create such profound healing. And the shadow of that is the same thing, the lack of boundaries, the you know feeling like you have to be everything for everyone. You have to say yes all the time. And because the nurturers realize early in life, like, wow, I'm able to help so many people with their problems, they got their level of, of self-worth from doing so. So they go about life. And I used to do this too, that my way of like, becoming friends with someone was to like help them with all of their problems. So, you know, you realize that as you get older of like, no, I don't need to hold space for every single person with every single issue whenever they want. So similarly to the entertainer, the nurturer needs to learn how to hold their own, not feel like they have to nurture. The entertainer wants to entertain everyone. The nurturer wants to nurture everyone and see that they can have an off day. They can not show up. They can set the boundary of like, Hey, right now I can't listen to you talk. You know, I can listen to you talk for 10 minutes, not an hour. And that can be really tough for them because they know they're good at it. They know it helps people, but they're not, they're going to get resentful of their gift if they don't set their boundaries. And then that's why we see home. So many people who are natural healers, coaches, not doing it because they're like, I burned myself out. It was too much energetically to hold on to, but it's because those boundaries weren't really set there. Do you feel like you have some of the nurturer? You're looking at me like, I know you do. Absolutely. (laughs) I am so much better with boundaries though. I mean, that's actually a huge thing that is, but it can be hard at times. I think that it's not only time boundaries or physical boundaries, but energetic boundaries as well. When you, I will release a solo podcast, most of my solo podcasts for whatever reason after I release it and I know, and people are listening, I don't think about people are listening, but I'll have this crazy wild roller coaster of a day. And I'm like, why? And it's like, oh, I opened up that for people to hear. And I like feel all these different energies. It's really, it's hard to explain, but it's what happens. And I don't know if you also experience that sometimes, but it's, you know, energetic boundaries that you need to really protect your energy. Mm-hmm. Everybody does. But- Absolutely. The nurturers. Yeah. Because they can feel that. And, you know, like, as a podcast host, right? Like you, like not all podcast hosts have the nurturing ability. Some hosts are like, I'm here to find all of the flaws in what you're going to say, or I'm here to like really question you, you know, like those like TV interviewers and stuff who come forth with like more of that maybe researcher of like, Hey, have you done the research on this? Or like that, like warrior energy. But I feel like as a nurturer, which you definitely embody is like, you're here to be on the team of the person that you're interviewing and like support them and, you know, feel really comfortable with them. So that's that like Oprah like energy that, you know, so many of us, and it's a very feminine energy have, but because we may have, you know, overused it or hurt ourselves using it, we might not feel comfortable, like really being able to nurture and knowing that people are not going to become like overly like attached to us. I think that's the nurturer's fear of like, if I fully show up in my holding space, that person's going to rely on me now. So I need to shut it off. Yep. Yep. Oh my gosh. So many chills. I love that you said that it made me feel seen in an interesting way because I was, I've actually never even thought of that before until right now. (laughs) I was like, let's go in. Cause (laughs) because I used to be super much more nurtured than I am now. Now it's actually one of my 
last ones, but because I was like, so like, I can't listen to everyone's problems anymore. I can't do this that, you know, now I've, I've realized that for me to nurture, I need to do it in this way that it's like, I know I'm not going to like, you're not going to like text me with every problem you have for the rest of your life. You know, <laughs> that's so key. That's so key. But you definitely, I know that you say it might be one of your last ones, but you just naturally have it. Cause as I make eye contact with you without you doing anything, I can just tell that you care. I mean, that's overall the nurture is caring and yeah. you do like, I have so many chills right now, but you do in just that your own way. And then the warrior as well. I love that you said that. Cause I listen to Joe Rogan sometimes. I love listening to people that are vastly different than myself. Oh yeah. He's such a warrior. He's such a warrior. He's like the epitome of it. And also Tony Robbins, but you know, you were talking about a host that is really questioning people and then like trying to pick out the perhaps potential flaws they might say, or play devil's advocate in many ways. And that's one thing that I admire about him because I feel like that's something that I don't do enough of. So sometimes lately, because I was inspired by that, I'll do like, I'll play devil's advocate in a little bit of way, just because I do think it really helps the overall message. Yeah. The warrior I'm super excited to hear about. Totally. So the warrior really is here to protect. That's what their mission is. Like I need to protect, I need to be a voice for the voiceless. I need to serve the disenfranchised. And that's what drives them. The only reason why they're showing up with that warrior tough energy is because there is an underdog that they are protecting. So the warrior is very connected to their physical body. They will always be into fitness. Like you will see it in them. A lot of fitness professionals are warriors because they need to have a feeling of like, I'm setting a goal and using my like grit, my body, my sweat, my labor to get there. And that makes them feel alive. So, you know, things like CrossFit and Orange Theory, et cetera, are like so warrior activating. And warriors are all about camaraderie, being part of a team. Like, let's do this together, guys. Like that really ignites them. So again, something like Orange Theory is like, they're like, I think it's like the slowest person is I've never gone. Cause I, I, the warriors for sure. My last one, but that I could not have that, but like warriors love like, Hey, all of our times count together. So like, let's make sure the last person goes forth. And like that inspires them to keep going or some um, spinning classes too have like their scores of everyone. And for the warrior that, that ignites them. They need that drive. So they're, they're often connected to their physical bodies. They like to be on a team. They like to know that like together we will go further. So if you think of like, you know, the most very military thing. Like think about someone who's in the army, the military, that's very warrior-like. So that's literally everything by definition of like, it cares about time. It cares about um, the way that you're interacting as a team, using your body, having a goal, protecting the weak. But we've always had warriors in our society besides, you know, people in the military or people in the police force, which is also a very warrior-like thing to do. You know, typically someone becomes a police because they want to help, they want to protect. And you know, that, that has kind of gotten a little, a little distorted in different ways, but, but the, but the reason why someone would even be attracted to that thing is the warrior like energy. Now it can also serve in so many different variations, like the politician AOC, um, Alexandria Octavia Cortez, she is a warrior. Mm-hmm. Like she's the world's our U.S.'s youngest Congresswoman, but the way that she just stands up in front of someone and she's like, Hey, you need to talk about the you know, this many people who don't have health care and you need to show up for these people and like has this like 
wonder woman like energy to her and that's why people gravitate around her because they feel like she cares and she'll be the person who will stand up for me and that ignites her if she kills that side of herself she won't feel alive she needs that energy that's her dharma Mm -hmm. so we need warriors in our society to to care and show up in these types of ways to be in confrontation and actually love it. Like so many of us, we try to avoid confrontation, whereas the warriors are gravitated to it. In fact, that's their shadow as well. They can sometimes be so quick to take action that they may not have done the full research. So you know that friend that you're like, something happened. They're like, okay, where is she? Where is she? They're like, they like want to get into the fight for you. But it's like, maybe like you did something wrong. Or like, there's always two sides to the story, but the warrior can be so quick to charge that they may not get the full scope. And the mind can be very um, dualistic. It can have a really strong moral compass if this is right or wrong, good or bad, with us or against us, which again is very militaristic, police force, politician, etc. So we know, especially if you're connected to the other archetypes, that life is so many shades of gray. So the warrior's lesson to learn is that, that, you know, not every time it needs like you to come in there and save the day with your grit, but to learn the different sides of the story and to have a cause that really matters to you. Sometimes warriors can just waste the energy, getting into random fights, fighting for things that don't really matter, getting into like a, you know, Facebook political battle. And it's like, is that really like going to change the policy here? (laughs) Like for them to really learn like, hey, you have this warrior-like energy to you. How can you use it towards something that's actually going to improve the lives of the people you want it to? Oh, this is so big. And I feel like if AOC were to take your quiz, she would get the warrior, obviously. And warrior the activist. activist. Yeah. Like Marianne Williamson, she's like more, she's like activist, visionary warrior. Ooh. Oh, okay. Oh, activist really first. I mean, that makes sense. She did run, but it's interesting. I don't know if I would have seen that in her without the election. She's super like, I mean, even when she started writing about spirituality, it was very for like like the heart of America and like making this country a better place. And it was like very, like she can talk about the esoteric, but it's really rooted in like making a better world for our children. And that's like how the activist would see things. Whereas like the pure visionary, it might be more for like the new paradigm or a little bit more ethereal. It could, it could not have that like as, as direct human purpose. And then the warrior is like more so how she shows up of like, Hey, I'm not going to take no shit. Mm, yeah she does show up in that way oh my gosh this is all so interesting of course you dive in further I'm sure in your book you dive into a variety of other topics I love how can we find the medium that flows through us I think that is something that we all we all can embody Uh, so the medium that flows through us is part of this you know So I would read a lot of different spiritual books, trying to find my purpose. And the one thing that I was like lacking was like, how do I take action on this? Like, what do I do? Like, great. I'm a cosmic being like, what what am I going to do tomorrow? Like, how am I going to make my life a reflection of this? So I created, you know, so many different systems and frameworks you can do to like literally anyone who doesn't know their purpose can read this book. And I guarantee you, you will find your Dharma reading this money back guarantee. If you do this work, you will find it. But, um, I created this five part process called the Dharma blueprint. And the Mm -hmm. Dharma blueprint guides you through your Dharma archetype, the medium that flows through you. So is that writing, speaking, channeling, building, you know, painting, etc. 
the thing that excites you. I always say excitement are breadcrumbs from your dharma because that's where your energy is flowing towards obstacles that you've overcome or helped other people overcome and your superpower. And I guide you through like finding each of these ones and putting them together to come up with your Dharma blueprint, which is what you can take action on. So, you know, briefly, like how your like how I see yours and it's so much more, but you know, your archetypes are your teacher, visionary, entertainer, Mm -hmm. mediums that flow through you, like conversing, like mm-hmm. having a conversation with people. And I feel like that's like your, that's like really where you come alive and just like mm-hmm. speaking in a free form way. You know, maybe you want to step into other mediums as well. Something you're excited about. Um, well, you have kind of peeped to us. There's some project you're excited about, <laughs> but I'll say just, you know, off of my, my channeling skills, it's something about mental health. So, um, you know, bringing mental health to more people, maybe merging spirituality with mental health obstacle you've overcome your own, you know, mental health, you know, battles that you've experienced that you just mentioned of, you know, the highs and the lows, Mm -hmm. and then a superpower that you have superpower is kind of like your secret sauce. It's like that thing that you just do well. So just from knowing you, I feel like your superpower is you really make people feel comfortable Mm. and you make them feel at home and you make them from the first time that we even had a podcast conversation a couple of years ago it's like you instantly even though I didn't know you like made it feel like we were friends forever like you have this way of like really creating this like this like warm bond with people so it's like the combination of all of those things now is your dharma blueprint so looking at that it's like this podcast and using it as a platform to share, share your abilities and dive deep with people on the topic of mental health. Maybe it's a project where you're like interviewing different people who had mental health issues. Maybe it's a book that also has a series of like interviews or conversations, or you come up with a course and it's like really diving deep. Like there's so many different ways now this can express, but it's interconnected with your five Dharma blueprint um, topics. You are so damn in tune. It's wild. And also when you talk about that superpower, I didn't realize mine was until, I mean, throughout my life, I would always be told what you pretty much just said, you know, like make people feel really warm and at ease and at home and seen. That was always it. Like you make me feel seen for whatever reason, like, cool, you know, but then I didn't realize until my retreat, of course, I had other reasons that I thought in my mind, like why I'm there given this retreat, holding space for this retreat. And then really I learned from almost everybody, like you just, you, you make me feel seen. It wasn't about the teachings or anything else. It was that. And I was like, whoa, that's key. And it's such a gift because not everyone can connect in that way. And I think your level of seeing yourself helps you see other people and maybe your own journey of learning how to see yourself through all of your different, you know, edges helps you see everyone and all of theirs. So it's like, the integration of that. And that's why I say it's like your obstacles are, are your curriculum. It's your roadmap. It helps you even embody and tap into that purpose. Had you not gone through those experiences, you wouldn't be able to see someone when they're hurt and when they're sad and when they're lonely and when they're anxious and still like love them through it. Yeah. But it also can be something that triggers people. And so if you know how you trigger people, like, cause that it will turn some people off. Absolutely. Yeah, pe- people who don't want to be seen. They're like, they well, can feel to... naked. 
Exactly. And there's a lot of reasons why I've navigated the road I have after meeting certain people that they didn't want to be seen. So it was a total cutoff, you know? And I feel like a lot of us know how we trigger people. You know what I mean? Perhaps that's one of the ways to find your superpower. Because that's, it's probably just one of the ways. What are other ways we can find our superpower? Okay. So I have a couple of different practices, but one of one really easy one is imagine you look at your phone and it's a text from a friend and it says, I need your advice. Okay. So what do you think that text would be about? I need your advice. For me personally, just anybody. For you. For me personally, they're going through something, especially home life or relationship, or honestly, just some internal insecurity. Mm, I love that. So you know that that's part of your dharma. Because in my mind, if I'm now going through something, I have an emotional insecurity, I'm thinking of you as the expert in my life to help me move past that, which means a lot, you know, and we have those people in our own minds, but we don't realize we're that person for someone else. Mm -hmm. So whatever it is that people come to you for advice for, maybe it's relationship advice, maybe it's helping you on your business, maybe it's decorating your home or hosting a dinner party or, you know, creative ways to brand that is part of your superpower. And sometimes it's so much easier to see it in other people than it is in ourselves. That's so true. Like, what do people go to you for? And also, because this is, I think this is all, oh my gosh, I'm having so many different epiphanies right now. (laughs) When I mentioned the trigger thing, I've been really paying attention. Okay, who do I trigger lately? Like when I have a podcast with them or something else. And there's just something energetically. And I'm like, oh, something just happened. I triggered in some way. And so when you said that, it was like, oh, I saw something and it either, and it triggered them. What do you trigger in other people? And also what do people come to you or value you for? Yeah. Like for me, I trigger people who haven't stepped into their power. Like if you haven't stepped into your power, you, you will... I see it like in just people I meet, it's just like, they feel uncomfortable around me. They feel like they're not like doing enough or something. And then they like, then they'll like wrap it around of like, oh, she's like doing too much, you know? So I realized that, and I, and I often get messages from people too, of like, at the beginning, I was so triggered by you because you were actually going out there and doing all of the things that I wish I could do. And every time I like saw you on my like for you page on TikTok or like you came up on my Instagram, like I, I, I couldn't stand it until I realized you're my greatest mirror because you are bravely stepping into what I know is possible for me too. I have so many chills. And that also is why people are drawn to you. You know, it's either you're triggering them or they're like, whoa, I really vibe with this girl because she's showing me what I could also do and be. Those people are honestly your best teachers. Like if someone is triggering something in you, that's your best teacher because it's like expansion right there. It's making you feel uncomfortable because it's like there is living proof that what you want to do is possible. So like, look at that and also know that the way that it's going to express through you is going to be so much different than it's going to express through them. Like, you know, so many of your podcast listeners may be like, you know, Raquel, I really want to start my own podcast and talk about all the spirituality things, but maybe they feel like you're already doing it and it's like too late for them and there's no more space for them, but their podcast is going to be with their personality and their stories and the people they're interested in. But our mind can create like, oh, that void has already been filled. So there's nothing left for me. But we could, you know, 
talk about the exact same thing. Like a yoga teacher can do the exact same class, but the way that each yoga teacher is going to do it is going to be different based off of who that teacher is. So truthfully, all of our dharmas is the same. We're all here to raise consciousness, but each of us, according to our archetypes, our childhoods, our past lives, our experiences, our ancestors, all of these things are going to be mixed into that bag of how we do it. And it's the how that's our dharma. Oh my gosh. Yes. Amen. Everybody listening has people that will listen to them. We're talking about that 1000 fans, you know, like there are people that they need at this time for whatever reason, you don't know it yet, but they need to hear your voice. We're in the mindset where we forget. Sometimes people don't want to be doing this stuff. And so there are other people like there's something else, but you are helping serving in some way. This is all about service. Mm -hmm. Like how, what lights you up and how can you serve in that way? Absolutely. And, and it really, you know, we, we're, I mean, we talked about so many things, but like, I'll quickly mention the five stages of Dharma because you just mentioned the fifth stage. So the first stage is the self-awareness that something needs to change of like, I see the way my life is going and I don't like where it's heading. So when I had that moment, I was living in India. I could see what my life was going to look like, just kind of feeling really stuck in Delhi. Couldn't do anything. Didn't like the society that I was in. And I could see where my life would be 20 years from now. And I didn't like the direction it was heading. So I knew I needed to get out. I didn't know what that meant. I bought a one-way flight to Bali. That's what it looked like for me. For someone else, it could look like you read a self-help book or you, you know, start a fitness journey or whatever else, but you know, something needs to change. And that's when the seed of Dharma is planted. Mm -hmm. Then the next stage is self-improvement. And that's when it's all about improving yourself. How do I, you know, exercise or meditate, you know, and it's really focused on the mind and the body. So for me, Ayurveda to heal my hormonal issues, digestive issues, anxiety, insomnia, like for your topic of mental health, that's in this self-improvement of balancing the mind, balancing the body. So this is where most of the self-help space fits in of like motivational speakers, like the Tony Robbins type people of like, come on, you can change, you can do it, you can be better, you can be stronger, get past your fears. And it's all about, you know, making yourself become better in whatever way. Mm. Now the stage three (laughs) that we get into is realizing that you don't need to improve yourself. You just got to get to know yourself. Mm. And And it switches into seeing yourself as this, mind and body and self that needs to change, but rather your soul that is waiting to awaken. So this is the awakening process where I'm going to guess a lot of listeners are at that you realize there's so much more out there and it's not as like three-dimensional as they, as the world makes it seem. So you want to know about your astrology. You want to know about your past lives. You want to know about your Dharma archetypes. You want to get to know yourself on a deeper level. Now, This stage can be the most difficult because it's when we can feel like we're going crazy, when we can feel like we are disconnected from our friends and family because suddenly our interests have shifted. It can feel really lonely. So that's why a lot of people talk about like ascension symptoms, et cetera, whatever terminology you want to put around it. It's because you're making a core change in your life. Mm -hmm. And that change in your life is making the world around you feel unfamiliar. So oftentimes you have this feeling of how am I going to survive in this world? So for me, like, I remember I would write these poems of like, we live in a box, the cars are a box, the cubicles are a box, the balls are a box, and we're just in these boxes. And I was just like, I can't live in America. Like, I need to get out of here. Like, this is the matrix. And it can even be a little bit of a frantic energy too, because you're just like, it. the veils unlift themselves and you're just like, whoa, what is this, this Maya, this illusion? 
Then we enter stage four. And stage four is when we are able to make peace with this world that we're in. We find the practices that work for us, the teachers, the books, the lineages. Maybe it's breath work. Maybe it's dance, sound baths, whatever else it is for you. So you're not as like frantic, like I'm going crazy. It's ascension. It's more like, okay, like I, I see that I'm a soul having a human experience and, and there's so much more out there and I'm, I'm able to integrate it a lot more. So in this stage, you're finding your practices, you're finding your way, but you might feel like you're living a double life. Mm. You're you who you are in your workspace and then you who you are in your interests. So you might go to your, you know, nine to five job and it's like about advertisement for a toothpaste company and then come back and be listening to this podcast that you know, like there is a Dharma out there, a way for you to integrate this, but you haven't fully laid your finger on how or what that is. You may be in the dabbling stages too of like dabbling with different things. Maybe you're teaching on a small level on, on social media to your friends and family, but you're not like living your purpose quite yet. It's like that feeling of something big is coming and I'm still not sure quite yet what it is. Mm, oh my gosh. Yeah. Sahara, I feel and like, okay, oh, yeah, there's stage five and this is the last one. And this is what you mentioned of it becomes about being of service. So that's when we move from me to we. So it becomes less about, I need to practice self-care. I need to, you know, do my meditation so I can cope with the world. A lot of times the spiritual practices that we're doing are for self-soothing and that's necessary. And that needs to be for the self. And you do need to cultivate these practices and set the boundaries and take the bubble baths and do all of those things. But then stage five is when it shifts from me to we, that the greatest thing that fuels you up is living your dharma, is being that sacred vessel. So you realize why you're even doing these things. It's so you can live out your fullest experience here. And that fuels you in a way that no, you know, meditation or anything else can, because it's you immersed into your sacred doing. Now you don't stop the meditation. You don't stop doing all of those things, but it becomes less of like, how am I going to deal with today? And more about I'm doing this so I can show up more of myself today. And this is full Dharma embodiment. And at this level, all areas of your life need to come into alignment because anything that's not will hold you back. So any friendships that were not fully in integrity, relationships, places that you've lived, et cetera, they, you realize how much that one little thing like that can hold you back from living your Dharma and how living your Dharma is your only responsibility here on this planet. It is your most important thing. It is why you are here. So if something is holding you back from it, it's your sacred obligation to change it because that is why you are here. So you feel like you can be you full time. You no longer have to have a difference between the outer and the inner you. You are just a full embodiment and full expression of who you are. And that is available for every single person. That is why you are here. That is why you were born. And that is what is going to happen for you as you awaken into your dharma. Ooh. I want to take that in for a moment. So stage four and five, I feel like can recycle back and forth from time to time. Am I right or am I wrong? Or maybe sometimes even people might go back to stage three. You know, the frequencies of them are quite different. Okay. Because in stage three, you are seeing yourself and the world as separate of like, this world is fucked up and it's crazy. Oh, and it's yeah. this like, you know, place and, and I'm, you know, the spiritual thing. And like, I don't know how I'm going to survive. 
So it's more of this like spark awakening spark. And that's really where, where you're at in stage four, it's you're doing your practices and you're finding your things and you're educating yourself. But could you safely say, I'm, I know I'm living my purpose. I know I'm living my Dharma. I know I'm sharing my gifts to the highest level on a daily or, or weekly basis. Like there is nothing on the table that I'm holding back. No, you couldn't say that quite yet. Okay. And stage five, it is like, like truthfully, when I am having a long day of work, the thing that fuels me up is to get on Instagram live and keep talking. Oh. And I'm like literally being honest and Probably I wouldn't have said that before if I was just talking about Ayurveda. I, I would not have said that before because it was more like me me dissecting and channeling something that already existed. Whereas when I'm speaking from my heart and my soul, sharing this message, I could do it for the rest of my life. Like I literally don't want to let you go because I don't want this conversation to stop. And I right. hope people can feel this like passion and energy and it's like fueling me with something that's so much greater than me and it's like that feeling of when you're doing your dharma and after you have even more energy it's not draining you it's fueling you Ugh. and once you get there you can't go back you won't let go of that feeling because once you know what that feels like anything less will feel suffocating oh my gosh okay this oh yep Whew. Is there like a four and a half stage? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think before we get to that full, full, full immersion, it's like, it's the steps that we take. So, you know, it could be like for myself, a spiritual awakening, Ayurveda helped me sharing Ayurveda, bringing more and more and more of my insights into it. And then that transitioned into it. Now, Ayurveda and the Vedas are like a modality that I see the world from. Yeah. And my, it's informing my Dharma, you know? So there's definitely these like processes and stages that we go through, but I wouldn't stay, you find your purpose and you lose it. That can't happen because once no. you're living your Dharma, it's a frequency that you're in that if you are losing it, you haven't fully grasped it yet. You know, people who are like, I, I had my purpose, but then I like, I don't know, I stopped writing and it didn't happen. It's like, that was, that could have been, you were on the path of getting there, but a true, true Dharma is like, even if you have kids, even if you do this, that frequency, that expression is still there. Oh, and I think that's key as well that you said, oh, okay. Yes. So maybe we get little hints of it and we have an idea and a little area of our life, we might be somewhat living, but it's like, you'll know when you're fully embodying it. That's what you're saying. Okay. Wow. And then you were talking about somebody with kids. I, I think that there are people perhaps in their mind, they're like, well, I'm not living in the area that is best for me, but this is where my kids go to school and my husband works or, or even in my case, to be honest, like I feel called to be with my parents. Sometimes my parents are very old because of the pandemic and everything going on. I just want to make sure that I never regret not spending enough time. That's like part, and that's part of the caring to be honest as well. And so it's an interesting balance. Like I don't feel guilty about it. I'm like, this feels right. Yeah. I mean, I'm just getting the intuitive hits that this is like, I kind of got two different ones. One that this is like the level of care and devotion that you are, that you are embodying right now is preparing you for the level of care and devotion you will teach others to have. Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the second one was don't feel like you have to put your life on pause. Girl, you are in tune and channeling these downloads. And I can tell 
whatever level 43 suits you well. (laughs) (laughs) But they're there, you know, and it's like, and the more, the thing is we're all channels and we can all tap into frequencies and, and, and feel it. So I'm just, it's just like in the, in the realm and I'm expressing it back to you. And again, it shows like our greatest obstacles are our greatest gifts and, and you don't have to hold on to them forever. Mm, I, I know this was a message for so many listening as well that might feel that in some way, shape or form. Are there any other messages you want to share? For the collective that- or for you? Let's go into a full channel sesh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we should. I would be down because you clearly get something. Got something. Yeah. I mean, you know, for the collective right now, when's this episode going out? Um, the fourth, the day before your release. Mm, yeah. So at the start of a new year. So I think a lot of people listening to this specific podcast right now are someone who know that they are spiritual teachers, actually. I think a lot of people listening are spiritual teachers and a lot, I'm getting this, these hits of a lot of people fantasize about the day that you interview them. Oh my God, I have major chills. Like that's, <laughs> If this is on your vision board or something, please contact Raquel. Let her know. I'm like getting hits that this is on a lot of their vision boards and that they like, yeah, and that they listen to this podcast and they even like rehearse, like as you ask questions, they think about how they would answer it. So they're like imagining themselves like, you know, being interviewed with you. And it's it's helpful for them to hear the other guests because each guest is giving them a unique element that they can bring into their own practice, whether it's, you know, more courage or clarity or whatever else it is. I think a lot of people are stuck in that they have a lot of different ideas and they don't know which one to do and they don't want to do the wrong one and end up in the wrong place and regretting it. So they're trying to figure it all out. But in this trying to figure it out, it's like, almost like the mind keeps like finding another layer and another layer. So it's like, they're like not quite fully taking action into what it is that they need to be doing. They're just really in the, they're just trying to think it through. And the thing is, you're never going to be able to create the step-by-step plan for your Dharma. Like you're never going to be able to create like the like 12 step, like 30 day money back guaranteed thing. And I think a lot of people are showing up like oh, once I have it all figured out, then I'll do it. And they're keeping their life on hold. And then they're creating all of these excuses as to why, you know, my, my, my kids, my family, my this, my that. And, you know, they're all real for sure. But they're feeling more responsible to other people's well-being than they are to their own. And inside of them, they know that they will have this regret if they, the more time they waste, the more of this like regret they'll have of why didn't I do it sooner? So I'm feeling like they need this like, like energetic, like ushering, like I'm picturing this, like, like, this like broom behind them. It's like, go along, like you're safe, like take action, like do the thing, like hit publish, put it on Etsy. Yeah. I'm seeing Etsy stores. I don't know. A lot of people have Etsy stores. And then I think a lot of people too, they don't want to like, oh, here it is. They're afraid of overworking a lot of people are afraid of if I actually do my Dharma, I'm going to have to work so hard and I'm going to live a life that I don't want. So they're not doing it because, and they're saying, oh, it's because I'm scared. It's because I'm this. It's actually because they're afraid of overworking. 
So they don't want to, because maybe they've seen other people do that. They don't want to do that. So again, it's that reminder for them that like overworking burnout can only really happen when you're doing something that's out of alignment with your dharma. When you're in alignment with your dharma, you feel more energy, more more fluidity, more drive. It doesn't feel like a struggle anymore, but because we haven't experienced that, most of us, we don't know what that feels like. So we're used to work being exertion, being a diminishment, being a loss, a loss of quality of life, a loss of time with my families, a loss of time with my kids. It's a loss. And I don't want to try to do this purpose thing and actually lose out on my life. That's what it is. So they're feeling like it's like a, I either get to enjoy my life or like live my purpose. How do I do both? And it's, it's actually both. So them realizing it, and the only way they'll realize it is to begin taking the action steps. And I'm feeling like a lot of them are super like, fuck, like, I don't even know where to start. So I would, I would actually for them write down like dates, like write down what it is I want to get done and like give themselves dates and like imagine like your spirit guides gave you like, okay, Ashley, by April 1st, this book's going to be published. So what do I need to do by March 1st? What do I need to do by February? What do I need to do by next week? Give yourself dates. I'm feeling like a lot of people could really benefit from more like structure, more like systems and more like holding themselves through the process. And then when they have that, more of that, creative energy can come through, but it's really to drop the idea that like, I'm going to lose myself in all of the work and I'm not going to have time to live a great life if I'm living my purpose, but actually see that the only way I can live my greatest life is by living my purpose. Why do I feel like you were also, when you were channeling this collective, I must be part of this collective because there were so many pockets and then you're like, I don't know, uh, I don't know. <laughs> we, you know, we all, we all are, but I think your voice and your podcast, like I can really feel the frequency of the listener mm-hmm. and it's like, it's a distinct frequency and it's like, it's like that person who's like, I'm feeling like a lot of like tarot readers a lot and I'm also here's another hint I'm getting that a lot of them aren't trusting their own spiritual ability so they're hiding behind modalities Mm -hmm. like instead of them owning I'm a fucking channel they're like I'm a tarot reader or instead of them owning I'm a healer they're like I work with crystals it's like no it's you you are the crystal you are the channel so it's owning that and not hiding behind a modality well, no wonder it's, first of all, major chills because this has been part of my writings for others because, you know, I stepped out of this a while ago, but I have shared this message through the podcast many times in a variety of different ways, but the way that you just articulated it, spot on, spot on. Mm, so it's hard. fun. Like we've been on here for like fucking two hours. I'm like, let's keep going for <laughs> two more. Like that is that level of devotion, of energy, of passion is there for every person. It's just finding that thing that makes you feel alive and that like is my greatest wish for humanity especially for 2021 you know 2020 was massively the year of like getting rid of what no longer serves us looking at the cobwebs clearing them out but now we can look at how much energy do i want to use destroying and how much energy do i want to use creating 
And if you're here, you're even attracted to this conversation. You're even two hours into this conversation. <laughs> like you're here to create girl. Like you are here to be part of the volunteers to bridge the new paradigm. So it's like reclaim that energy and focus on making the world that you want to be a part of. Because when, you know, the city's burned down and what's left, they're going to be like, wait, so what are the new schools going to be? And what are the new healing modalities going to be? And like, what do we eat? And it's us who have been working these years who are going to have those solutions for people. I feel like you just answered the last question that I've asked you many times before. And I asked all the Euro Magic guests that might as well add to it. How would you advise the Euro Magic listeners to create their own magic? Mm. Trusting that their dreams are dreaming them back. And that the only reason why they are there is because it's part of their dharma. Period. Mic drop. And that's on period. And that's on period. Amen. Dude, this, I can't believe it was two hours. I'm not going to lie. I've had podcasts before that are like 30, 45 minutes and they fill longer than this like, <laughs> i'm like secrets of the universe let's go <laughs> so gold oh my rose gold everybody also definitely listen to sahara's podcast the highest self podcast i mean obviously i'm very sure that you're drawn to her energy and captivated by how she articulates all of this wisdom but there's something that the way you express yourself is very you there's this beautiful charisma that is that ignites something within us and then of course follow her at i am sahara rose of course in the show notes and then go to iamsaharose.com and get all the information there when it comes to what sahara you do a lot of things events you have your sisterhood rose gold uh club you have your books on there what else is there quizzes yeah. So the best place, if you want to get the book is I am slash Dharma. You can get it and get some exclusive bonuses there. Take the Dharma archetype quiz and, um, Rose gold goddesses. It's my sacred sisterhood collective. Um, and I'm over on Instagram as well. So let me know, let us know, tag us. What, what did you get from this episode? I'm curious to see how it landed, what little sparks it created. And I just want to commend you listener right there for like listening to the end like really showing up like if you are so committed to learning about yourself your success is inevitable so thank you and thank you so much for having me back on the podcast it was such a joy and I've really learned so much about myself in this experience of like, I feel like my deepest gems come from conversation as well. Loved this conversation because I was able to go into like so many deep rabbit holes that like you don't really go into when you're by yourself. It happens through like another curious soul. So thank you for being my playmate in this, <laughs> for letting me go deeper into my, into my truth on all of these topics. Dude, that's so cool. I love that, that you had like some revelations in the midst of this. I definitely did. I don't know if you saw my face, but I was like, what? And there's so much in this for people to take. This is the new year and what a powerful time. I'm glad that your book is coming out January 5th. Cause like what a powerful time for people to really explore this and we better the world. Cause if, when we are able to find this within ourselves, the world will be so much better, especially during these polarizing times. Mm. We need this. Aho, uh -oh. we incarnated it at this time for this reason. So let's live our dharmas and create the world that we wish to be a part of. Aho. Uh -oh. Okay. Wait, one last question about the book. So you said to go to I am saharose.com slash 
Dharma, D-H-A-R-M-A. Yeah, you can find the book wherever books are sold, but you could just submit your receipt there to get my meditation, tapping practice, embodiment practice, and more. So it's better to get it there than anywhere else, probably. It, right? it links to all the places on there. You just submit oh, okay. your receipt on there. Yeah, so okay. it's available. Like you get it at a local indie bookstore, support the local bookstores or wherever mm-hmm. else you want. Get, could you guys get it from the local? I'm not going to attach the Amazon. Get it from a local place. I'm just going to attach your uh, link. <laughs> all right. I love you. Love you. Yomis, that is a wrap. That is a wrap for this episode. I hope that something spoke deeply to you, expanded you in some way. Please let me know if so. You can catch me on Instagram at Raquel Mantra. I spell Raquel a different way than most, so you can see the spelling in the show notes. Or hang out with the Yomis, the like-minded, very conscious and expansive and helpful souls on the Euro Magic Facebook group especially a place to turn to when it comes to, well, whatever you're going through. And there are several tools on the euromagic.life membership site. All right, well, thank you so, so much and have a magical rest of your day. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.